Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Jeep, Dr. Jeep. Hello, Vanessa. Hello. So, Doc, what what can what can we call you? Dr. Hakeem? Can we call you late for dinner? Can we call you Hyder? What can we call yep, you? Yep, Hyder's absolutely fine. I get called Dr. Hakeem all the time, and you know, uh, the shine has worn off so much. It's like, oh my God, here we go again. <laughs> you know, I've totally lost the kind of, you know, shine of the whole doctor thing. Um, it's become a bit of a a ball now. I hear you. So I'll call I, you higher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, I remember sort of when I first qualified as a doctor, it was it was the best thing ever, you know, seeing the doctor in front of your name and you know, looking at your cards and people calling you doctor. It was a real, you know, uplifting uh, experience. Yep. Yep. Now it I was. saw that now I saw that you started in zoology. Well, the way it is over here in the States, um, you can't I mean you can you can um declare that you're gonna be in a pre-medical track, but there is no um degree for pre-medicine so you have to declare usually a science major and my dad who was a doctor before me and still living at the age of 90 um yeah he was a zoology major um as well of course i never had a desire to be a zoologist it was just a it was a a means to an end and so because I majored in that, most of my courses were, you know, botany, uh, were in biology, chemistry, you know, everything that I needed to take. Um, so long time ago, that's, yeah, I, I uh, entered college in 1977 and finished in 1982 with uh, a degree a BS is what they call it, which means more than Bachelor of Science. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so and then I had several minors um but that was basically my way of um getting my uh pre my medical school requirements out of the way so yep that's that's how it all began yeah I mean my dad's a zoologist as well he he did a PhD in marine biology and I think wow. he was interested in fishes so he was really interested in you know, the whole aquatic life. And um, uh, then he went back to Iraq and and, and taught um, uh, zoology and, and fish anatomy and fish biology and fisheries. So he was very much uh, a zoologist, but, but I think he did want to become a doctor as well. And it didn't quite happen for him. Yeah. Um, so he, I guess he lived his dream through me which I'm really grateful for because, you know, doing medicine is not easy. And there are many times when you feel like giving up and 
you know, my parents kept pushing me. So um, myself as well, you know, my dad was always my biggest uh, fan. You know, I I reached that point several times, like, oh, I don't think I'm going to make it, you know, I'm not doing as well as I would like to do. And he would always be behind me saying, oh, you can do it. I know you can do it. And so he was always there for that along the, you know, if you get knocked down off the horse, you just get right back up on it. And that's what he would say all the time. And uh, it was very important to have that support for me and, and I always knew if everybody was saying I'll oh, go ahead and do something else with your life he would always be back there saying no this is what you wanted to do I know you can do this and I always knew I could hear that whenever I talked to him when I was down so yeah I agree with you that was very important and I've been a doctor he was a doctor his dad was a doctor and my brother and now my um, godson and nephew is a doctor. So we're littered with medicine. Littered, not in a necessarily a good way. <laughs> but it, you know, it was, uh, it's just been something that has seemed to have been our calling. I mean, has your um, opinion of medicine changed? Because you said that, you know, littered not in a good way what's what's changed well that's kind of why we you know why Vanessa and I are doing what we're doing because um and, and Vanessa is equally as vocal about the situation that our um occupation seems to be in you know we're in a situation where me uh, medicine is run by the, by corporations it's run by insurance companies it's run by regulatory agencies and what we used to perceive as some authority in how we did our jobs and respect uh about our opinions um it's just not there to the extent that was there before and so what what has happened is um there's a lot of stress that physicians endure and because of that stress, they take it home and their personal relationships are sometimes really, really desperately affected, which causes the breakup of their relationships, which which is a monetary issue as well as a very personally destructive emotional issue. Go ahead, honey. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say I... um I'm on the business side of medicine. Uh, when he was in practice, um, I'm an accountant by training. And so I did the business side and it's very, very much now uh, quantity over quality. And when, you know, it's in, it's an employed situation now, so it's no longer um, from a business point of view, having independence. And, and so now there are bosses pushing and you have large corporations pushing behind you. And um, it's not quite as fun as it used to be. And, and, and when, when did you realize this was happening, uh, Dr. G? Oh, you know what, Hyder? I, I went into practice in 19, let's see, I finished up my training completely in 1993 and 
when I started here in the U.S., um, we we live in a pretty small town. I don't know um, what you would um, uh, compare it to in England. Um, but we we live in an area of approximately thirty thousand people, and and around in West Virginia and around our area. Um, they're small towns. And so my desire was to always come back after my training. You know, we live at least at that time in a underserved area and uh, which Wheeling has kind of always been. And so um, I came back and my desire was to be a uh, what what we call a small town family physician, you know, where everybody knows who the basically the town doctor is and it was always my desire to be that town doctor to make house calls to you know to give advice to listen to problems both psychologically mentally physically and um and that's what I enjoyed doing um initially and I would say um the insurance companies and the um you know, the, the people that really uh, are outside of what we do, um, I, I think that was starting to creep in. Oh, gosh, I would say probably around 2000 um, is when we started to see it. Reimbursement was declining and what you wanted to offer your employees and we were, you know, when we were in private practice, we were quite generous because um, it felt that it was it was what the way it should be. You know, um, this was not an undertaking to make a whole lot of money. This was an, an undertaking to have a comfortable lifestyle, but not to overdo it, but mainly for altruistic reasons. You get into medicine for a a purpose higher than yourself. Um, and it's something hopefully you understand before you do that. And that's the way Vanessa and I did it. I mean, we were a team back then and we're a team now just in a different way. But um, I was on the medical end. She was on the business and um, um, she was uh, about the uh, HR. She did that. She took care of you know, it seems like your worst problem is um, <laughs> is with staff and fighting and all that. She took care of all that, but um, but it, it just was it was so it was a labor of love in a lot of ways, and it was so enjoyable. And when the declining reimbursement happened, then we were kind of forced to become employed. Um, and I know yours is you have, have socialized medicine and the government pays for everything unless you have private pay well over here private pay exists but it's essentially everything is um insurance um government's involved with uh for low income and seniors uh, but the rest of it is um from insurance companies so basically you are for lack of a better word you're a slave to what they want you to be paid with something. And so Vanessa took care of all that, but it got to be, you know, where it wasn't sustainable for us to have what we were having in private practice. And so we ended up becoming employed by 
the hospital. And that's when you really start to notice where other people have their tentacles into your business and how you run things. So I, I would say 2000, 2004 is when I we started seeing it, but it just has really escalated since then. So, I mean, it was a sort of a financial decision to sort of um, go down the other route, you know, you know, the less independent route. Yeah. And also I had our third child and, um, you know, I worked constantly with our two before I had our last child and, and lots of mommy guilt there being just, you know, uh, working all the time and, and. I, with the third, I just felt like I was going to be pulled in so many directions that um, I didn't, I didn't want to go in that direction any longer. There's just a flexibility that you have right. when you're running your own practice. I mean, obviously you have to uh, fulfill and follow governmental state regulations with things but you have a flexibility to run things how you see fit you lose that when you become an uh an employee of a hospital system or something like that and and that's about when vanessa step step back and you know another thing is you always think the grass is greener on the other side right <laughs> and so it it looked you know, to not think about having um, employee issues any longer, you know, some other issues, knowing that the hospital was going to take care of all of that, not knowing that it was going to be so um, confining, constraining that. Um, I was going to say oppressive. That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no. So, um and then it was too late to go backwards. Yeah. So yeah. I, I stayed in practice after Vanessa bowed, you know, after she bowed out. Um, and I, you know, the best time that I think I ever had in practice was when she was running the office. You know, we did, we worked together every day. And um, I don't know, you may have some male friends who say, Oh my God, I could never work with my wife. Um, I never felt that way. You know, we, um, we just had a very, you know, we had a mutual interest in what we were doing and that was to treat our employees the way um, they deserve to be treated. And, um, and she made, you know, she made the tough decisions um, with staff when they had to be made because I, have not been very good at conflict and 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 so it fit really well and you know the medical aspect she never encroached on that unless it had something to do with you know a type of supply that I wanted to use that may have been a little bit more expensive than something else and than else but I would always say honey I I'm it may cost a little bit more but I'm about quality rather than quantity but those are the types of decisions that uh, she would enlighten me about and it's about respect yeah. you know i respected his medical opinions he respected my business opinions and then we would negotiate and make 
make decisions based on that. So, and that's really how our relationship has been that um, intrinsic respect that we have for each other. Yeah. Has, has, that. has that always been there or has that sort of developed over, over the long relationship, you know, long time relationship that you've had? I think it was something that we, that was a value that was very important to us. And it was established at the very beginning of our relationship. Um, I was previously married before um, Jeep and um, I got married very young um, of Italian descent. And it was um, strongly encouraged that I would marry and stay within my ethnic background and marry Italian. And I did. And unfortunately, um, there was alcoholism involved and somebody that was unwilling to get help in any way, shape or form. And so I had a hard decision to make. Um, and I left that relationship. Fast forward, met Jeep and, and pretty much knew that what, what I wanted in a husband, I kind of knew what I wanted in a husband because I didn't have it. And, and so when we met and things started getting serious and, you know, we would talk about, you know, our wants and needs and desires, um, as they were back at that time. And, um, you know, it just, we always were able and still are able to talk. Like we can talk about so many different things like one of the a value that's important to me is intelligence and that was super attractive and the fact that i could just hold conversations about anything and everything and he would educate me and and you know that's one of my top values don't believe it hider i'm not that intelligent <laughs> And, and but no, yeah, I mean, what, what what was it in Vanessa that that really attracted you oh, at the time? So many things. Um, <sighs> um, I I'll just give you a little uh, background. You know, I I told you, you know, I'm from medical background, and so I, you know, um, my mom and dad married. It was um. Uh, you know, I said, my dad, just a, just a phenomenal physician. I, I've learned so much from him uh, growing up and how to practice medicine and put people first and do it right. But, you know, oftentimes that care, that does not carry over well into a relationship. At least it didn't for him. Um, and so he was, he was very um, narcissistic, um, with my mom um he devalued her importance around the house and was like well i'm the doctor and you know what you do is important but it's not as important as what i would do and so or what i do and so there'd be a lot of fighting screaming and um and it would it led to him on several occasions um having affairs most of most of which I didn't find out until I was probably in my early 20s. And so it was, you know, my desire to do things differently and knew that things could be done differently came from when I was really aware of the relationships, which is in my, you know. And so um, I decided that when I got older that um, I was going to help 
other couples because I had a, a knowledge of, that it could be done better. So enter my life, um, Vanessa, and I too had been in a prior relationship, but it didn't reach marriage. It was uh, an engagement um, that I fortunately got out of before the rings went on. But Vanessa was the type of person who um, she just had been beaten up by her prior uh, relationship um, didn't have a whole lot of self-worth a uh, lot of insecurity because of that and here I saw this wonderful person that had so much to offer but in so many ways afraid to to really be heard and I felt like this is somebody that that really meshed with me and because I knew that I would give her that ability to grow that she was not given before. So there was a, there was a lot of, um, I think, attraction in being able to do that. And she thought the same way I did in um, our, our hopes and dreams. And, you know, we already decided that she was going to be involved in my practice and, we were going to grow and it's it has just done nothing despite significant challenges over the years um but grow um and so here we are now um it will be in um november 21st we will have been married um 31 years and together for 33 and very blessed and very lucky and that has what has led us into um working with healthcare professionals in their personal relationships in particular because one thing we're not taught how to do that and a lot of us just don't know how to adjust to stress externally from our relationships um and when that enters um, our relationships and so it, it, it's something that we think that we can and have successfully treated couples in our field how to do and um um just going back to when when vanessa decided to sort of step back what was your you know initial thoughts and feelings about that did you sort of have you know resentment or were you bitter about it or no, I, I was sad uh, because I always knew that when she was involved with our practice that she she had a vested interest. She wanted to do things the right way. For lack of a better word, she never did nor has done things half-ass. You know, she was always about um, doing things the right way for the for the practice and for patients. I mean, uh, she suffers from a chronic illness that would, you know, that caused issues. And she would come in and see patients with me sometimes that were similarly afflicted. And Vanessa's never been the quote unquote doctor's wife. You know, she's not been about uh, dressing to the nines to come into the office and, to, you know, and to show off a, a big expensive ring or jewelry the jewelry that I've bought her over the years, I have a tough time getting her to wear to begin with. So, 
that's never been uh, about that. Um, so I was, I was sad to see her go because I knew that the practice was going to be in the hands of somebody that I was going to have to grow to trust and to do things the right way. That's a great word. Trust. And, and nobody in the, after that, nobody, um, was nearly as good and i would have i would say to patients i i said the how have you seen me from a mood perspective and you know because patients get to know you over the years and they always said you were you were it seemed like you were so much happier when you were in private practice and vanessa was involved because they all knew all my patients knew who she was and um you know, we, we looked at at our group that would work together as family. I mean, you're with them so many hours a day. And while that existed to an extent after she left, it was never the same. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and how did you overcome the sadness or are you still in a in a state of sadness? Uh actually I went back to school. And so um, I wanted to get my master's in business. And so um, with the birth of our son and in graduate school, my plate was full. And so, Definitely. you know, having her, when you come home um, from work, um, you know, you unload basically. And, um, so I always had somebody who understood because uh, she was uh, involved with what was going on and mm -hmm. she she understood what we as physicians go through and other healthcare professionals for that matter go through on a daily basis in the, the stresses. And so we were, she was equally a part of things. And when she left, it's not that she still wasn't that way, but the understanding and how things were changing, um, it was uh, it was more difficult. Of course, she was focused more on the kids, especially our our son, who was our third um, that we had. So it it was different. So um, it it was um, uh, it you know I'm out of practice at least for for right now, and it. Um, it it's when I at some point I think that I'm gonna um, go back into it, but um, uh, to a probably to a much less extent because we're so focused on what we do right now. But um, um, she won't be involved in that, and um, it's just a like you. Sadness is a good word, and how you deal with it, I think, is more adjusting um, than anything else it's it's something that's never going to be the same but the way i always kind of looked at it as i put patients first because they deserve to be first regardless of what's going on in your office or with you personally they have to be first and you um whatever's going on at home you need to lay that at the door before you walk in and then conversely when you leave at the end of the day and you shut that door to your office that needs to you know it's always with us it's part of what we do as as healthcare professionals but there's got to be some um 
for lack of a better word, not not a wall, but there's got to be some shedding the armor. Right. It has to. Most of it's got to yeah. be back there so you can be present for not only your spouse or partner, but for your family, for your children and dealing with that. And, and that's what we have found in our um, uh, in, in the work that we do is the biggest problem that healthcare professionals have in making a reasonable, um, uh, you know, making it uh, a certain amount at home and some from work. They, it, the, there's just no teaching. We're trained, but are we trained to do that when we're in training? No, we're not. Good. And, and you know, what I say is that just going through the training of medicine can be dehumanizing and we're taught to put everybody else first and because of that um in order to treat really you know life and death situations you have to step outside yourself and it's very hard to step back in um and so what i say is is that just the the training and the practice of medicine is dehumanizing and we teach you how to be human again, especially with your partner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, we'll come back to that. I wanted to ask you as a physician, you know, when you became an employee again, how, how, how did that change your way of practice as a, as a physician? Oh. You know, Hyder, I always, um, I always had a way of doing things and, you know, I wasn't always adjusting to technology as it was changing because technology isn't always as good as the way things were done before, as far as your therapeutics, mess, uh, your therapeutics um, way of doing things. Um, and so I, I continued to do things, um, a lot the way uh, the way my dad used to do things um and that always wasn't um agreeable to the people that you were having to um answer to and it was so that was a fight for me constantly constant power struggle and, and can you give me you an know, example of that you know um, like for instance yeah. you know yeah. i i was somebody who um uh i'd like to think i had a pretty astute knowledge of um pharmacology and how um drugs could be used differently um in all manner of um dysfunction um, whether it was emotional, physical, a certain physical problem. And um, like I'll give you a for instance. Um, I, around here um, uh, in our area, uh, like now, uh, it's July, but really certain certain months prior, March, um, uh, April, lots of allergy around here i mean significant pollen we just this this valley and in um also um uh types of um um uh, different uh 
bacteria that grow around here. So I would treat people usually yearly um, with a, a type of a cocktail that I would call it. And it would, I would use a, a long acting and a short acting um, steroid with a, um, and then I would put an, an, an antihistamine in it that was injectable. Sometimes Benadryl, sometimes another one. And people would walk out the door and uh, within a few days would say, what did you put in that? Because I feel so much better. And they would feel so much better for the rest of the three or four months that this existed around here. And, uh, and so... Um, it was something that I did, but I, I would get, well, why do you do that? I've never done that. I said, well, because this is how I was trained to do it this way. Um, and other other examples of how I would use, um, not necessarily off-label, but um, a medication that hadn't been used for a certain thing for a, over a long time. And I would say, well, it's still around, so I would use it. And it's like, well, we want to move on from the how it was done. <laughs> and we want you to do it this way. And I would say, so even if it was done better from then, from how I was trained or how I was taught by my dad, well, no, I'm sorry. I want you to do it this way. And I, since I specifically went into family practice, I wasn't somebody who necessarily went by a time clock when I was with a patient and, you know, I would give them time and that's what I became known for. And, but you know, the bean counters don't want that, you know, they want you to give people five or 10 minutes. Well, with me, five or 10 minutes was just seeing how they were being present with them. And then you move on to getting, finding out, okay, why are you here? Well, they want you to be done in that period of time and move on to somebody else. That was never me. Still isn't me. And that was very frustrating. And I'll give you another example is, you know, because I have the chronic illness I have, which is fibromyalgia, and I got it from um, having rheumatic fever when I was 11 years old, you know, he became really good at knowing the signs, symptoms, how to treat it. And what do you know? He's got a lot of patients coming in with fibromyalgia. The word got out because back then it was really an unknown. Um, so for example, I muscle ache at that time, you know, and he would use trigger point injections, did that a lot. You would never at this time in medicine go to a family doc and get a trigger point injection. It just is not the standard anymore. Um, or get injections, period. period. Really. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really gone from whatever he was comfortable doing. Um, he was able to do to now you've got to stay in a very small lane and then refer it out to, um, whatever specialty, for example, that would be orthopedics. Correct? Yeah, they, they yeah. didn't want you to look at medicine as an art because yeah. it is an art. It, yeah. It's you're, you know, I, I, it, I was always trained that 
somebody comes in with a problem, if you can handle it, handle it. And, and if you're allowed to handle it, if the government or if the, you know, whatever um, specialty board says you can do it, do it. And so I became what I felt like proficient in doing a lot of things. And if something, a problem was not getting better, I wasn't so foolish to keep hammering at it. And then I realized, okay, well, I'm going to send you to somebody who I know, who I'm comfortable with, who's who's going to treat you fairly and not blow you off. Uh, I'm going to send you to this person. And in another incidence of him, you know, being using art in medicine is just not giving up when a patient's symptoms, um, when they kept coming back repeatedly and whatever he had been trying was not working and, you know, he'd just scratch his head and think, you know, this is a challenge and I'm going to research more of this and I'm going to figure out what is going on with them. So he be also became known as that person. Like when you go to Dr. Nam, he's going to figure out what exactly your problem is. And um, it led to a lot of people being diagnosed with him, him being able to diagnose people that had gone to multiple doctors before him and they were just pushed pushed out the door he was never good enough for me to say i can't help you right. I, in fact right I, I i thought those words i i never understood why a physician would use that um but it, it now it's commonplace um and and i was never trained that way so i would dig and i would dig and I would order, uh, you know, I would research and say, okay, well, if you're not getting what you are looking for, then go and order this test or this blood work. And so I would do that. And sometimes it would take that to find out. Um, but I can't tell you have, you know, about having that attitude and what it would lead to yeah. with breakthroughs with different patients people that just fell in the cracks. I, I was a, I was a fall in the crack type of guy because I wouldn't let it go until I figured it out. And then if I exhausted everything, then I would move on. Um, and, and like Vanessa said, I, I, I became known for that. Uh, but you can't do that. You can't do that right now. The lab is, you know, they're at the, the mercy of insurance companies that if they don't understand the sense in order to cert ordering a certain blood test, mm -hmm. they're not going to pay for it. Um, and so, yeah, I could go on and on about that, um, you know, but I know we're kind of diverting uh, from where we, you know, from what we do. But yeah, that's that's the, the difference between, it seems to me, like being a physician then and having that ability when you're on your own being able to um, have the flexibility to use what you learn and in what you your um, your desire to do things not always in a mainstream way now it's not it's not about the art it's about doing cookie cutter you know this is what the book says do it the way the book says well the book's and not always right especially when you're dealing with real people. 
Yeah. And outcomes have been studied for a period of time now. So they can just say, okay, if you think this is the diagnosis, then we know the outcome. So you do one, two, three, and boom, you know, it's staying in that channel. Um, they, yeah. I mean, this whole concept around standardization has really yes. um, caused a lot of harm for personality types who love that kind of freedom to um to express themselves uh yeah. you know art, artfully and you know that that was the thing that really troubled me studying medicine and, and going through you know whole, the whole training is that you're put in a straight jacket and that's the only way forward you yeah. gave us the language thank you that's exactly what it is yeah and then and then the straight jacket gets tighter and tighter and tighter until you go crazy and then they call you crazy for being in a straight yes. jacket <laughs> yes you absolutely. know absolutely you know yeah and you know since i mean here it's you know we don't have insurance companies uh thankfully um but we do have um uh regulation and best practices so you can be sued for not following best practices um but these best practices are still not science you know it's it's what's agreed upon by the most famous professors and physicians and you know the ones with with the tick box from from the highers uh, from the higher powers um and as you said there there are certain cocktails that just work and we can't explain why it works but it just does yeah um we can't explain these things no you know in a descriptive and systematic way um but you know hider it used to be you were given the the respect to, th to say well he knows what he's doing it's worked before but that's not good enough anymore you know even if you've done it all this way and it's worked according to the quote unquote experts that respect doesn't exist anymore you you're you're in that straitjacket that you so well put and and you know we're not like you can't be houdini you can't get outside that straitjacket and do it outside that straight jacket because then they get mad or uh, a, a malpractice lawyer is going to say oh well you didn't do it exactly this way and so you are now liable so then there's that part that boxes you in as well over here yeah so, and then and then sort of unfortunately going forward we've got big tech companies like google and microsoft yes. and sort of all these other people which are using uh, you know, I would say misinformation about, you know, medical ways of doing things. And then yeah. it's going to, you know, in, in, instead of before, you, you had to do uh, systemized, systematic, randomized controlled trials, which we can all have access to and mm -hmm. can, uh, you know, interrogate. Now it's all driven by artificial intelligence and misinformation. I mean, you know, we saw what the pandemic uh, did to us and how, oh, you know, physicians were, um, what's the word? Um, yeah, cut out mm -hmm. and, and silenced because they had other evidence that actually, you know, these other things worked, which which went against the general narrative. Yeah. And that uh, never happened before. And and. Like with the pandemic, you had politics that 
that were that was entering into it. And and so you had physicians we were on silenced. one side. Yes. yes. You had physicians on one side of the political aisle and physicians on the other side of the political aisle. And they were basing their decisions what their uh, according to what their political beliefs were. And I was horrified. You know, medicine is supposed to be independent of that kind of thinking, but it isn't. It's not anymore. And then you get patients looking at, according to what their political beliefs are, seeing what this doctor is saying, and whether it's a randomized trial, like you said, double blind, um, they don't care. It's according to what this doctor, who is of this political belief, is saying. So they're believing that. It's, it's a yeah. I mean, horrifying. I've actually stopped. I've I've actually stopped believing, you know, in the science of medicine. You know, I, I, isn't that horrible? Yeah, I, yeah. It's, because it's you know, because of the so much manipulation that goes yeah. on, and and you know, we're obviously going to be in big trouble for for saying these things. But you know, whenever a representative of of um, a pharmaceutical or a surgical company. I I I have big doubts about what, <laughs> yeah, about, you know about what they're doing and you know the way that they're, um, unfortunately, and um, it's a big problem. And you know, as you said, that creates great stress. And then we we, we sort of go home and and uh, you know we can't take off the armor. Uh, what what why did you say that uh, Vanessa that. That our, that our training dehumanizes doctors? Um, be, the stuffing of emotions. Right. Definitely the stuffing of emotions. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I would say the first 25 years of our marriage, I may have seen Jeep cry five times. And it was because you know, he's, he would have patients around him. He's, and he said, I couldn't fall apart. I couldn't fall apart because I was the one that everybody was looking to. And so when you do this time after time, after time, it just becomes a way of life. It becomes a habit. So your habit is to stuff the feeling and just, you know, go about the action and, um, and then, you're not feeling the human, you know, the humanity. You're not feeling that part of you. We're not taught how to do that. And yeah. and Vanessa will also say often that, you know, we're taught um, not to be wrong about anything. That you are right, and you're uh, not allowed to be wrong. not allowed. That's it. You are not, not allowed, allowed to, to be, be wrong. wrong. You know, and so this perfection attitude that becomes pervasive in society about you know doctors are being supposed to be perfect that when we make a mistake it's something that is horrible and that you know they're it's horrible to admit to and so when you're in relationship with another human being you're going to be making mistakes all the time so if you're going to work and you can't make a mistake and you come home you know, there are folks that can't admit they have, you know, make mistakes in their relationship because they're just not allowed to make a mistake. So they carry it in all parts of their life and it just creates conflict. And she's right. It is very dehumanizing right. because 
you know, depending on what specialty you choose and you're a surgeon. Um, and so, you know, what calls about um, when you're on call and you get called in for a potential surgical case. And so you, you have to do that when you're at home and, obviously you're you're having a difficult time um being present when you're knowing at any moment that you're going to be called by the emergency room or a patient's going to go bad in the hospital that you may have to go in for and so you know that you know that creates an issue and so that is very um i i would even you know to coin or it's derelationshipizing um and, and there's an expectation that the person that you're with needs to understand that. But at what point are you asking them um, to be understanding to where it's not fair for them to be that way anymore? Sure that there's a, there should be an understanding when you get together, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing with my life and it's not going to be like it is for everyday people but at some point we need to know ourselves as healthcare professionals how not to have um expectations that aren't fair so what do you do with it that, that takes an extraordinary amount of communication and, and still to this day gender roles are still running rampant in marriages for example um, say there is a um, the physician and she's um, female and say for example the husband isn't in medicine you know and we what we see is the female is still expected to go and do all of the work of a physician and then come home and do all of the female role gender roles in the household and um, <laughs> man that's just you know that happened with her. Um, yeah. You know, when we started in practice, uh, we had we had two kids, and um, and so I would be at work, she would be at work. Our kids were in daycare, and um, uh, four o'clock she would leave. She would go pick up the kids. I would still be at, at the office, and. At that time, I was going to five separate hospitals, building my practice, being on call for patients without physicians. And um, and so um, I would leave the office and I would walk through the door and I, I would be numb, you know, from everything that had happened that day. And so the only thing that I'm worried about is getting to a chair and turning on the television and and getting immersed and lost, escaping from what had been going on that day to kind of like um, uh, just uh, unload uh, and, decompress. and decompress. And so she would be here. Her job's not stopped. You know, she's got two kids that are pawing at her. And I worked you know, all day too. And she worked all day too. And she's making dinner and... You know, I'm sitting in a chair oblivious mm -hmm. to all this because I'm focused on myself and um, and I'm just not in because I'm, I'm not paying attention. And, you know, after a while, she's like, hey, um, you know, 
this is not what I signed up for. This is not what you promised me. You this know, isn't fair. You're an equal partner in raising these children. Yeah. As you said you were, you know, you wanted to have this many kids and okay, we have this many kids, but you're kind of absent in parenting them and doing what needs to be done. And so this isn't something that we um, agreed on um, immediately. My dad was kind of a, a lot like me. He would walk in, pour a drink, and he let my mom do everything. He did something very rarely. And some of that was generational, but that's just the way he was. And so I started taking on that persona, which I never wanted to. And so we talked uh, multiple times. And and so what I ended up, we ended up agreeing on is I, when I would come home, I would decompress for an hour or so. But then I would equally um, take, you know, be involved in getting the kids fed, getting them ready for bed. And then when that was done, allowing them to, allowing Vanessa to unload on me what her day was. And it allowed me to be um, more present in my children's lives. Now looking back on it 30 years that had she not have called me to account on that, I would have missed on, missed out on stuff that I would be regretting right now. But because she had that courage to confront me about it, I didn't. And, and so my relationship with my children um, is a lot better than it likely would have been. And, and Vanessa, what, what gave you the courage to, to speak up and, and, you know, say enough is enough. Um, it took some time, it took a lot of time. Um, you know, there's that built, the, the resentment starts building. And I knew that it was, ref, it was affecting my relationship with him. And, um, I, I had to get to a place where I wasn't afraid to bring it up to him and that I was going to stand my ground um, but like I said, this took some time, like couple, several years. Um, and finally just saying, you know, I need help. It's not fair. I'm working just as hard as you are. Um, you know, granted you leave the office and you go to the hospital and you're doing that, but I'm picking up the kids coming home, you know, doing that. And just when you come through the door, I need help with them. Um, because there were three of them. So I clearly I was outnumbered. <laughs> and um, it, it just fighting for what I needed, and I needed help. Yeah, exactly. And um, she should have never had to have done that. True. But she she would I let it go on. Because she would say, you know, she would think to herself, well, he's been through a, a lot. And so I'm not gonna guilt him but like i said before eventually your partner or your spouse gets to a point where okay i'm done feeling guilty got to start thinking about my wants mm -hmm. my needs and what's fair uh and unfortunately we see with couples that um because of a communication breakdown um the 
other spouse or partner is never gets to the point where they can feel like they can speak up uh, and talk about what's fair to them because um, usually what's happened in the past, they're knocked down or it results in a argument, you know, and when you, after you argue uh, about a specific topic or area and you're not getting anywhere, you just kind of drop it, but it doesn't go away. Um, it just creates, you know, Vanessa used the word resentment. Yeah. What does resentment do? It, it, it creates a wall and that wall gets taller and then you back away from that wall. You become distant from it. And so then you're disconnected, you're disconnected, communication breaks down, um, frequency of intimacy and sex. Um, you know, who wants to take someone, you know, in, into, um, into bed and have a, a loving experience when it's not existing um, in in the relationship outside of the bedroom. Um, and so then that creates another wall in itself. And so things just start to gradually break down. And, and it's insidious. Oh, yes. It's insidious and it happens slowly over time. Um, of course, there are things, of course, that can come into play that speed it up. But but this, you know, you don't see it happening or I didn't see it happening on a daily basis. It, it was almost like I woke up and was like, wow, I really am harboring some big time resentment against mm -hmm. him for this. Um, and it was hard. But um you know, I was determined because of what I saw as a child and growing up that I wasn't going to allow that to happen with me. Mm -hmm. But it creeps in because it's a part of how you were raised. And, and it, it insidious, which is a really good word, it, it creeps in sometimes and you don't realize you're speaking or acting in that way it takes the courage of your spouse or partner to say you're acting like your dad and you said that you would never do that because you don't you don't like the way he talked to your mom because you thought that was awful and you said you would never do that but um oftentimes in relationships if somebody doesn't call you on that it's going to continue and there should be that kind of communication where you have the that kind of courage without significant fear to be able to communicate like that. And that's one of the things that we do is we bring couples to a point where that communication can happen without penalty. And that we teach couples to look at, okay, take this from their viewpoint, don't feel offended and look at it that they're bringing this up from a, from a space of love in their heart. Humans don't always, can't always look at things that way. Um, and sometimes, oftentimes it's a matter of practice. Yeah. Um, and, and just an attitude as well. Yeah. The team spirit, you know, we're a team with these kids and, um, 
And so we need to start acting, you know, take one for the team, so to speak. I, and I need help here. And we started working as a team with the kids. We were really good at it with the practice. <laughs> we weren't so good at it with the kids initially. But um, it, it's, but we're, you know, this is showing that we're not perfect. We're human. And, you know, our marriage is not perfect. It never was perfect. It never will be perfect because we are imperfect human beings. Right. right. However, we work on it daily. We work on a relationship daily with the attitude of the team. Exactly. And our kids have seen that. They see how we work through things and... <laughs> They actually get nervous. And we have one out of the house now who's, she'll be 30, uh, 30 years old and this year. And then we have another one who is 24 and then our son who's still in the house, but in college, uh, they get uh, nervous when they see that uh, there's distance between <laughs> us because they know that the, we've we've shown them of how to, get through issues. Uh, in fact, our daughter is in psychology. She's a, a licensed clinical psychologist. And um, so she works with this uh, with people and um, and she doesn't like to see um, a problem that's existing, but we get through it. It may take some time, but we know that the foundation, which, right. is, which is love, respect um for each other that that foundation does not get rattled um right. these other things that happen above the foundation of the house like a broken window or the air conditioning is broken you know and i use these metaphorically um those things can be dealt with as long as there is that that love and that willingness to keep the relationship going and we've had that from the beginning um but sometimes it takes some time because like we're we have our own wants and needs and those things change over time so there's a yeah there needs to be that adjustment uh but again you know as trite as it might sound the communication is the key um uh, and and doing communication the right way because uh, you can communicate the wrong way and sometimes bad communication is not as is is worse, worse than, than no communication, communication. yeah but yeah. that's the key and and and, and vanessa would would you say that marrying a medic is you know is a you know is like a license for a really tough marriage or or, or, or does it depend on the personality? Great question. Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I believe it, 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 it was understanding that there would be some sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And for me, I grew up in a family business. And so in our family business, the attitude was whatever it takes. And the business always came first. So I kind of adapted with, um, with our marriage and Jeep being a doc because 
I had that, uh, that philosophy that I grew up with. Um, but understanding that, wow, people, people, lay people that aren't in medicine just don't understand the sacrifice that it takes being married to a doc that spends so much time at work. And our kids, um, he was never home for dinner. Um, rare that he would be home for dinner. So we weren't the family that sat around the dinner table and had dinner together. Um, and I knew that was a sacrifice. Uh, so what we did, we, we would go out to dinner a couple of times a week, um, later, of course, on the weekend and have dinner out as a family. And that was how we adjusted to, to that. So it's, knowing what the sacrifice is and then finding a way of how you can work, work with that sacrifice. Work, work takes on a life of its own and um, it's yeah. knowing and having the courage to um, understand that and being present you know, outside of work. And it's a, uh, uh, it's what's the, the, a, a Leviathan. Um, it can be that way uh, with work. And we don't know as physicians how, how to, and healthcare people, um, how to function. I, there's so many people that we talk to um, that say, well, no, um, I had one person I was talking to the other day and she said, um, you know, I've been through this twice, meaning marriage. Um and I don't plan on ever subjecting myself to this again. And so you you hear that, and and it's um it, it's frustrating. Um, and you would like to say, I, and I've often said, well, give us a try. Um, because oftentimes people say that, but they say that because they're not equipped um, to be in a relationship or they're dealing with somebody, at least at that time that doesn't want to make an equal go of it. Well, another thing is, is you have to be willing to recognize your own stuff. Mm -hmm. Because you mean your own shit, basically. Yes. yes I wasn't, I didn't want to say that, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's give and take, you can't, it, it's not one-sided and, you know, I, if there's something that gets on my nerves with, with Jeep, I just, you know, run this through my head. Well, you're not perfect either sister. So, <laughs> and that's just how I've coped with that. And it's a different kind of thing now because we're both home at the same time. And you know, when older. I was, and we're older, <laughs> when I was working, you know, you're away from the house. Yeah. So we're not retirement, but it, at least for now we're, um, we're together all the time and you don't realize how things might get on your nerves that otherwise aren't getting on your nerves. And, um, and so it's about dealing with that, um, as well. So we have a lot of things against us as healthcare people and, um, and it's having self-awareness because that's, that's huge. huge. Having self-awareness and in, in, in any kind of coaching, that's one of the tenets. Um, but it's so important when you're dealing with relationships because it takes you 
taking the time to be aware when you've got all this other stuff that you're dealing with and too many times it's like ah well it is what it is this is what i do this is what i do for a living and no i can't make time for self-awareness and i'm not going to and so you have these this relationship disintegration which um if you're taught tools how to prevent that from happening it doesn't have to and we've proven it with with uh couples that um you know that we've coached over time and and and, and vanessa what's what's great or or magical about being married to a, a medic in in your oh. experience apart from the you know the hot sex and you know the great time in <laughs> in the bedroom yes anatomy right <laughs> anatomy yes and, and having a, <laughs> having a good knowledge of anatomy yeah that's what i mean um oh gosh for me i would say just i don't know how i would have been able to raise kids without him knowing medicine because i would have freaked me out like oh my god they're choking no they're not choking because they're breathing it's when they're not choking is that it? You it's when they're not breathing that you know they're you know the minute you hear a cough oh my god they're choking no they're not choking so that helped me out tremendously I, like i'll give you an example uh we were in that's bed. not many you know that <laughs> just the kids <laughs> yeah, keep, keeping the kids alive that's that's great keeping the kids alive we were we were in bed one night and our our oldest had had some sort of a viral illness and she was laying in bed her temp was 105 and she's oh. with us is like are you okay with this and I, and I said well i'm keeping an eye on it you know we were giving her anti-inflammatories and i'm like okay i'm gonna sit here now if it goes to 106 i'm out the door right now but give the medicine a chance to work and sure enough within the next 20 minutes or so her fever broke and she was fine now in in something different like she would say oh, i would have been out the door i'd have been calling 911 <laughs> but yeah. in, in being a physician I, i've never been rattled by things um and, and it's just how i've done it i i stand up to what the issue is i deal with it and that's just the way I am when I worked in the emergency room situations that happened in the office. And, and I've been that way with her from a medical standpoint and my kids. Mm -hmm. And she's told me oftentimes, I, yeah, I, I would have been gone. Thank God you've been here. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been, it's been absolutely awesome. And, you know, we, we, we can go on for another hour. Um, yes. Easily. <laughs> Um, how 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 best can people get hold of you and you know the work that you're doing with couples, um, a couple uh, coaching and relationship coaching? Uh, our website is www.bestfriendsagain.com, and um, listeners can click on the free chapter to Doctor Jeep's book um, and get a free chapter. You, also he it's over there where is it down further um also he wrote a book honey go write that's in show him the way yeah 
I'll send you a copy of this hider. Um, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, you know, stop is. the wife from strangling me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But go ahead. Um, so the book, the website, um, and also LinkedIn. We have a very large LinkedIn um, presence and Facebook as well. And I would ask uh, couples who are out there because, mm -hmm. you know, the, we understand this is this is personal stuff to talk to people right. about. And unfortunately, we, you know, because of our training, oftentimes are skeptical about things. And we have a, you know, there's a lot of layers to our onion. And it's tough to get inside that outer layer sometimes and admit that we have a problem. Uh, but mm -hmm. so many times couples have, have um, trusted us and have um, been so happy that they have um and we just would like couples out there who may be listening and thinking um understand that we all have issues big and small with our relationships and mm -hmm. if there's something going on and you really want to see a change mm -hmm. we can help you achieve that mm -hmm. but have the vulnerability to admit that there is an issue and um and think of us as educators really yes um teaching communication teaching how to be in relationship with another human being um teaching how to own your own stuff um teaching how to be vulnerable um showing someone what real empathy and relationship looks like um teaching someone how to um talk to their spouse about what their needs are and and having the spouse understand that and accept that lovingly um and just really you know looking at your relationship from a curiosity standpoint and that getting to know each other more deeply and how do you do that you do that with questions and guidance um it's not um we're not psychologists um this isn't therapy and so couples don't sit in front of us and tell us, you know, what their last fight was about. That's not it at all. What we do is we teach a subject and then there is, there are questions. We teach our form of communication and, um, and then there's, you know, if they have questions and then we will use ourselves yes. as examples. That's the key. You know, mm -hmm. we use ourselves as an example. So people who are listening um, now, uh, what you've heard from us in the vulnerable um, stories that we've told you regarding our relationship, you will hear that when you decide to work with us um, because um, it is important. It definitely is, helps to establish communication to know that what you might be going through, you're not alone um, and that there are other people out there and that you can get through that. And, and another thing is the media, the media is so good at putting out there what a relationship should look like, right? We're, we're into the rom-coms and the, you know, the romantic love stories and all of that, but what, they're not showing what a healthy relationship looks like and that there are stages of a relationship. You know, you'll see the romance in the beginning of a relationship, but that does not last for an entire marriage, nor is it meant to.
Well, on that note, it, it's been awesome having you on the show and um, looking forward to reading your book and uh, hopefully staying married. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure, Hyder. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're a really good guy and we've appreciated how you've moderated all this and We've gotten to talk about a lot of things and hopefully your uh, your listeners will benefit from what we've talked about. And, you know, we must leave the last bit to Vanessa. Um, yes. Do you want to sort of send us off um, uh, and say goodbye to the listeners? Yes, I'd like to, you know, just thank everyone. Thank you for um, having us on. And um, don't be afraid. Reach out and... Um, reach out, give us a call. We have a link on the website where you can give us a call and uh, we'll be happy to talk to anyone. Thanks a lot.